0: following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida. Or online at westpines.org. The idea of clothes affects our lives in various ways. So if you've ever been to an event and you've felt overdressed or underdressed, you know that clothes, it can either bring honor or dishonor to you. And that dynamic is something that I learned w- when I was a teenager through one uh, episode, unfortunately, that I don't think I'll ever be able to forget. I had just gotten my driver's license, okay? I want you to think all the way back to when you first got your driver's license. I had just turned 16, and man, when you like first are driving all by yourself, it's like, I just felt like I had arrived, like it was like I am, I am cool now, okay, and um, I remember that there was one of the first times I was driving to meet some of my friends down at Hollywood Beach, and I remember that morning I woke up, I put my board shorts on, got a tank top, had some shades, I mean, I was, I, I was the man, okay, threw my volleyball into the car got into the car, rolled down the windows, turned the music up. I'm driving down to the beach. I am the epitome of cool. I mean, I'm not just driving like this. I'm driving like this. In my mom's car. I mean, I had reached. I mean, it was, it was to that point like the pinnacle of coolness in my life. In fact, probably of my entire life, that was it, the pinnacle. It's already passed, unfortunately, for me. But I was driving down to the beach and I remember I pulled into the parking lot. My friends had already arrived. They were kind of like a group in the parking lot talking. I pulled up right near them, pulled into my driving, the parking spot, rolled up the windows, got out, twirled around, whipped off my sunglasses. How you doing? (laughs) And their faces were just like sheet white, like staring at me like death had just gone over them. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? And one of them had the courage to say, bro, there's something that's totally messed up about the back of your bathing suit. And I said, what? He said, dude, there's a huge rip in the back of your bathing suit. (laughs) And when he says rip, there was a section missing, okay? (laughs) I had just scarred and traumatized all of my friends, okay? And I had forgotten that the last time I had worn that bathing suit like a piece had gotten ripped, I had totally forgotten. Okay, And if you ever have the misfortune of having that happen to you, there's only one thing for you to do. Just get in your car and go back home, okay? <laughs> Find all new friends. It's, it's over at that point. Okay, so clothes they, in in our mind, in a lot of ways, they kind of represent either honor or they can represent dishonor. And there's this passage that I find just so fascinating in the Bible. It's a little-known passage, actually, in the Old Testament. And it takes this idea of clothes, which we're all very familiar with, and it links it with a concept that we all wrestle with, every one of us. And it treats this concept in a way that is utterly unique in all the world, I think. It treats this concept, it talks about this concept of shame. Now what do, we mean about, what do we mean about shame? Shame is not just the guilt that we feel about mistakes or regrets or sins. Shame is when those things have so sunk down into our minds and our hearts that it becomes part of our identity. You could, define, you could define shame as wearing your mistakes. And what this passage teaches us about shame, I think, is absolutely powerful. And it's so freeing that I want to share it with you today. If you would open with me to Zechariah chapter 3. Chapter 3 is in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. Zechariah is one of the prophets of the Old Testament and what he's about to share with us is a vision that he's had. And so let's look at this vision, Zechariah 3 verse 1. It says this. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Okay, now pause right there. Let's get kind of what is the context for this vision. Zechariah the prophets has this vision, and this guy named Joshua is standing there before God. Now, Joshua is not a fictional character. He is a historic person. He was the high priest of the day. This story is taking place of. Uh, few hundred years, about 500 years before the time of Christ. He is the high priest in that time period in Jerusalem. Now, the role of the high priest is very unique. He is the highest ranking of all the priests, and he is the only one in all of Israel that's allowed into the inner sanctum, the innermost part of the temple called the Holy of Holies. That is where the presence of God so densely dwells that God warns them, he's teaching them about his holiness, and he warns them, if anyone else comes barging in here other than the high priest, if anyone else comes in here, they'll be struck dead. Not only that, but there's only one day a year that the high priest is allowed to go in there, and if the high priest casually saunters in there on any other day, he'll be struck dead. And it's not just that he goes in there on that one day, There's all these ritual cleansing, uh, cleansing rituals that he does, these ritual baths that he takes to prepare himself to go into that that holy place. In fact, there's specific clothes that he's supposed to wear. The high priest wears these very specific clothes. Here's a picture of what those clothes look like. There's a turban that he wears on his head. There you go. There's a turban that he wears on his head. There's this garment that he wears, this cloak. There's a breastplate he has with these gemstones set in them, very specific garments that are supposed to be pristine, and he wears them in the presence of God. And if any of that is off, because God is trying to teach his people about his holiness, if any of that's off, you're risking death. Here's the vision that Zechariah is having. You've got Joshua the high priest is standing there in God's presence, but there's another figure in this vision. Satan, standing at the right hand of this high priest, Joshua, and he's accusing him. Now, the word, our word Satan comes just directly from the Hebrew word Satan, and Satan means adversary or accuser. And so when it says Satan was there accusing him, it literally reads in the Hebrew, the accuser was there accusing him. Why the redundancy? Because one of the most fundamental ways that the enemy opposes us is by heaping accusations and condemnation and shame on top of us. The accuser, Satan, is standing there to, uh, just pouring on the shame on Joshua. So really, this scene is like a heavenly courtroom. There's God on the throne as the judge. There's Joshua, the high priest. He as the high priest is representing all of God's people. He's standing there. And there's a prosecutor that's prosecuting, pouring all this guilt On Joshua. Now, watch how this scene unfolds. Let's jump down to verse 2. Look what it says. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now, Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy. Garments. All right, I want you to go back to all that we just talked about about how precise the high priest has to go, has to be before he's standing before God. And it says that his garments that he's wearing are filthy. When you see this word filthy in the ancient Hebrew, it is as dirty, filthy as you can imagine. The word um, filth, when it's used as a noun, is used sometimes to describe excrement. His clothes are soiled. They're as nasty, filthy as you can imagine. You can just, I mean, picture Zechariah has got to be off to the side like, oh, this is not going to go well. The high priest in nasty clothes after all those laws, all those warnings. He's standing there in these nasty clothes before God and he sees God rise up and there's rebuke in his eyes and he starts speaking and Zechariah's gotta be like, oh, this is gonna be bad for Joshua. But who's the rebuke for? It's for Satan. God rises up and says, how dare you accuse him? Don't you know who he is? I have chosen this people Israel. He is like a brand plucked from the fire. The imagery here is imagine like a campfire and there's a stick in there that you grab out of the fire before it ignites. You save it from the fire. He's like, I have plucked this people out from the fires of judgment. How dare you accuse them? But wait a minute, time out. He's wearing filthy clothes. That means the accusations of Satan. They're not false accusations. I mean, he has every reason to be accused. I mean, Satan's just standing there saying, are you serious, God? Look at this man. I mean, this is just disgusting. It's filthy. How are you possibly going to tolerate this guy? His accusations are actually just, Joshua is actually guilty, but God rises up and says to Satan, how dare you, and rebukes Satan, how dare you accuse him, I have chosen him and plucked him out of the fires of judgment. Watch what happens next, this is unbelievable, it's profound. Look at verse 4, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. I just got to stop here momentarily and just make sure that you don't miss this picture. You've got, was standing here, disgusting, filthy clothes, Satan accusing him, rightly so. God stops and says, how dare you accuse him? I have chosen him. I've saved him from judgment. And then he says, strip off these filthy garments. And they take off the filthy garments and they put them aside. And they say, now clothe him with pure vestments, pure garments. And they put the turban on his head. And they put the cloak and they dress him like he should be dressed in pristine clothes before he's as if he should be dressed to stand before God. Do you see this picture? Now, where what did they do with these filthy clothes? We don't know yet. Let me finish out this vision of what happens and we'll see what the point of this whole thing is. And the angel of the Lord. Solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. That is an Old Testament nickname for the Messiah. I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. Watch this. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. All right, now there's a lot in there, and we don't have time to unpack all of it, but let's just distill down like the most important part. He's stripped off the filthy garments. He puts pure garments on Joshua. And he says, I'm sending forth the branch. In other words, I am raising up my servant, the Messiah. And he will take away the iniquity, the sin, the mistakes of this land in one single day. All right, now how... Is this going to play out? What's this all a picture of? In order for us to understand this, we've got to understand something about the names happening in there. So I want to set the stage like this. I want to talk about the name John or Juan. OK, I'm, and I'm sure there's got to be some Johns and Juans here. So let me just see hands. If there's a John or a Juan, let's see him. I know there's more of you. don't be shy. We've got. Two, all right, I see, okay, two or three. Pilot Campus, raise your hand. If you're watching online, alone in Starbucks, raise your hand. We will know. We'll find out, okay? All right, so Johns and Juans, as you know, that is actually the same name. John and Juan is the same name, just said in different languages, one in English, one in Spanish, and those both come from the Latin name, the same Latin name, but in Latin it's Ioannis, it's the same Latin name, and from that Latin name, there's the French also pronounce it, but they don't have John and Juan, they have Jean, okay, that's how the French say it. They took that name over to Ireland, and then in Ireland they pronounced the name Sean. Okay, do we have any Shawns? Let me see the Shans. Anybody? We have how can we have no Shans here? Okay, we have no Shans, people. We need some Seans. <laughs> Go out and bring some Shans next week, alright? We need some around here. Okay. Vishon. Now, here's what I want you to see. All of these names are really the same name, right? just pronounced in a different language, in a different culture, taking a different route through history. But it's all the same name. Okay, now let's talk about the name in this text, the name Joshua. Any Joshes? Come on, thank you. I've got a Josh, a couple Joshes, way braver than the Shans. Good for you, okay? We've got a Josh. So the name Joshua is actually from the Hebrew Yeshua or Yeshua, we just translate that. You can see how we go from Yeshua to Joshua. We, that's how we translate it. There are other Yeshua's in the Old Testament. There's the Yeshua that we're reading about in Zechariah 3, and then there's the one several centuries earlier, the Yeshua who fought the battle of Jericho. We've got that Joshua. But there's also some Yeshua's in the New Testament. But the New Testament's not written in Hebrew, it's written in Greek, and so the way that it's written in Greek is Iesu, so that's how, we, that's how it is in Greek, and then that is commonly was then translated into Latin as Jesus, which then we translate into Jesus or Jesus, but I want you to see it's all the same name. Okay, did, did that make sense, or did I just say way too many names all at once? Are you, you're tracking with me. So Joshua and Jesus—that's actually the same name. They both come from Yeshua. In other words, when Zechariah is originally having this vision, he went to his friends and said, I, he, "He said I had just had a vision about Yeshua the High Priest." When Jesus was a little boy, and his friends came over to play, they knocked on the door and they asked Mary, "Can Yeshua come out to play?" That's how they said his name. They have the same name. Why do we care? Like, what's the point? Zechariah 3 is a vision about a Yeshua that's explaining and pointing out to us what one day a greater Yeshua will accomplish. There will one day day be another Yeshua who will take all of the sin, all of the mistakes, all of the guilt, all of the iniquity away from his people in one single, single day. How will he do that? Well, this Yeshua in Zechariah 3, he's representing his people, but he's in filthy, soiled garments. And God looks at him and says, strip off the filthy garments and put on clean, pure garments. But that's not how it was with the greater Yeshua. The greater Yeshua stands before God, sinless, pure, and spotless. And he had those garments stripped off and he put on our filthy garments to pay for our sin. In this passage, it doesn't tell us what happens to those filthy garments that they strip off of the high priest Yeshua. Well, it's because the son of God, Yeshua, put them on. And took them to the cross and paid for our guilt and shame. This is how it's said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. It says, "For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." You know, there's a whole theme about clothes that runs through the entire Bible. It's almost like a theology of clothes. It starts in the very, very beginning, Adam and Eve, and it says emphatically when they were in the garden before they had sinned, before they had disobeyed God, it says emphatically they were naked and not ashamed. They had no shame. They had no awareness of their nakedness. And then when they sinned, their first reflex was shame. They realized they were naked and felt the compulsion to cover themselves, so they sewed fig leaves together. And what does God do? When he comes to confront their sin, he covers their nakedness. He covers their shame. What does he do? An animal has to be killed as a sacrifice, and he takes the skins, and he covers over their shame and their nakedness because of their sin. But there would come one who would come on the scene one who had never sinned, the Son of God, Jesus. He had never sinned, but his enemies would strip him to shame him and hang him on a cross. And they strip off his clothes, they hang him on a cross, he dies on the cross, and then they wrap him in grave clothes, all stained with his blood. They wrap him in these clothes prepared for death, and they put him in a tomb. Why? Because Isaiah says, because he clothes us with his righteousness. It puts it like this in Revelation. Think about this metaphor. It's profound. It says the robes of the saints, in other words, the robes of believers, of God's people, it says are washed clean by the blood of the lamb made white as snow. Think about that. If you put blood on a garment, it stains it but not the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb washes away all stains. See, this is the picture of what happens for us. It, he takes our filthiness off and clothes us with his righteousness. Okay, this is such an important theme that I want to show you a demonstration of of this kind of idea, an an illustration. And by the way, this is the same illustration our kids are being shown in the kids' ministry. So if you are a parent with kids or a grandparent with kids in the kids' ministry, you can talk about this illustration on your way home because they're seeing the same thing. So I need to invite my my two volunteers out here. Uh, Help me welcome these two uh, two faithful, brave volunteers. Come on out. Welcome. Um, Over here, we have Representing Us. We have Pastor Angel. Let's give it up for Pastor Angel. Okay, and this is Joey, and he's representing Jesus. Now, what did he do to get the high honor of playing the part of Jesus? We searched through the entire church to find the godliest man that we could find. And he wasn't available. (laughs) So because Joey has this incredible beard, the beard we thought, the Jesus beard, well, he'll be Jesus for us here today. So give it up for Joey. Okay. Now, here's the picture. We stand in our, our guilt in our shame, in our sin. What it says in the Bible, for all have sinned. Every, every single one of us has sinned. We've all made mistakes. No one is perfect. And so we have this sin. But when we put our faith in Jesus then Jesus takes our sin. When we say, Jesus, I put my faith in you, then we take our sin, and it goes on Jesus. Jesus takes our sin, and he takes it on himself. He can take our sin on himself because he is perfectly righteous. And he takes our sin on himself. But the Bible also says, That there's a punishment for sin. That the just punishment for sin is death. And so if Jesus is going to pay for our sins, then Jesus is also going to have to face death. So death passes over from us. How does this work here? Here we go. Here we go. Death passes over from us and Jesus takes the punishment for our sins Jesus, the Son of God, coming to earth, God in the flesh, and He dies on the cross. He's paying our punishment, an eternal being paying for eternal death. But today we we're celebrating Easter. What happened on Easter? He rose from the dead, so He defeated death. Is that good news? He defeated death. Death has now been defeated. That means He's completely paid for our sins. Our sins are paid for. That's great news, okay? Death and sin is paid for. We have been rescued. But here's the thing. If we stopped right here, that'd be great. They'd be like, okay, fresh start. Let me try and do the best I can. You know, he paid for sin and death. But that's not all that this passage said. It said it made him who knew no sin who was righteous to be sin so we could be something so we can have the righteousness of Christ. So what Jesus actually does is he actually gives us his righteousness. Listen, this that means this is how God sees us. He no longer sees you with your sin. Past, present, or future, that sin has been washed away. When God looks at you, if you've put your faith in Jesus, and your sin has been passed over to Jesus, and he's paid for your sin, God sees you As with the righteousness, not of your own, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's pretty good news today, is what we're celebrating with Easter. He sees you with the righteousness of Christ, completely clean. Okay, one more clap. Give me a, a round of applause for our volunteers. Thank you guys. Joey, Pastor Angel, thank you. Here's what this passage is teaching us. Each one of us, we're dealing with shame in our life. Every one of us does, consciously or subconsciously. Shame, it's that that guilt we feel, that regret we feel over our mistakes, the way we've hurt people, our sins. It's that thing you feel late at night, lying in bed, staring at the ceiling fan. When those thoughts are running through your head of the things that you did you wish you hadn't. And it's not just guilt. It starts to seep down into your identity when you think of yourself. You think of yourself as the one who did this. It's like you're wearing your mistakes. It's when you're driving alone in the car on your way to work and you turn up the music a little louder to try and drown out those thoughts of the things that you've done Reminding you, and what is it doing? It's just heaping on you accusation and guilt and condemnation and shame. Don't you know who's doing it? It's the accuser who's accusing. But what does the scripture say, Christian? It says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation left for you, Christian. Because of what Jesus did, man, take those shackles off. Take those chains off. Don't carry that heavy burden, that heavy yoke. Don't carry that anymore. Jesus is saying, "I took all of your guilt and shame on myself and I paid for it." See, here's what I wonder. I wonder if there's people that often they say, "You know what? I I just, I don't want to do the church thing. I don't want to do the God thing. I'm just not sure about the whole Jesus thing. I, you know, maybe you're even, you're here today or you're watching online and you're saying, look, I, I, I would do the whole Jesus thing, but I just can't handle it. Maybe you're not even saying this consciously, but inside you're saying, I just don't want to come to a place where I'm once again reminded about how bad I am. Like, I just can't take another dose of shame. Another dose of guilt. I don't need to go to a place that's reminding me that I am yet again not good enough. I'm fighting that battle too much as it is. But if that's what you think this is all about, you're missing the whole thing. We're coming together to celebrate. What has happened to our guilt and shame? It's been removed, removed as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't see that anymore. We're washed clean because it's not about just try a little harder, try to earn God's favor, try to earn heaven a little bit more. You can't. It's not about what you do. It's about what he did on your behalf. That's what this is about. You say, okay, I hear you, but... Man, I don't know how I can have a relationship with Jesus and talk to him, follow him, put him in charge of my life, follow him, be obedient to him. I can have a relationship with Jesus, with the one who's covered with my filth. How could I possibly look the one in the face who had to carry my guilt and shame? And if you're saying that, then you've forgotten what happened on Easter morning. A few few ladies who had been following Jesus, they raced to that tomb that morning because they just wanted to anoint his dead body and put some anointing on the clothes, those grave clothes, those death clothes that were wrapped around him. And they're on their way, and they're on their way, realizing how are we can even move this huge stone. We don't know, but they go anyway. And they arrive, and they see the stone has been cast aside. And they look in and they see that it's empty and they're wondering what could this possibly mean? Could it mean that he actually came back from the dead? I think he said that once and they race and tell his followers, can you imagine that morning how it spread like wildfire through his followers? This person running to this house, the tomb is empty. Could it be Did he rise from the dead and they're going over here and going over here but not two of his followers. Man, they heard that, they didn't go anywhere else, but they ran as fast as they could straight to the tomb. Can I read to you what happened in John chapter 20? It says this, Both of them, this is Peter and John, were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw, what did he see? He saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Why does it tell us all of this about his clothes? It's something you have to know that was left behind in the tomb. Those filthy garments of death that he took off of you and put on himself. He's not still wearing those clothes. They are dead and buried and left behind for all of eternity. They were left in the tomb that day. Don't you know what is left in the tomb? Cast aside the risen Lord. He's not wearing your sin anymore. He folded that up and he put it aside. He's no longer wearing the punishment for your sin. He actually conquered the punishment for your sin. He defeated death itself so that anyone, he took this garment and he cast those clothes of death aside. Why? He's clothing you in righteousness for all of eternity because the day will come when you will breathe your last and you are not breathing your last to enter into death but you will be entering into life to the presence of the one who saved you for eternity. Some of you need to hear this message today. This is not about a couple tips on how to live your life a little better. It's not about how you can try to be better to earn God's love for you. You can't possibly do that. He just looks down and says, you are like a brand plucked from the fire. He's saying, I have taken your filthy clothes off of you. Jesus wore them, but he left them in the tomb. They're done. But that's a gift. And you have to receive that. You have to put your faith in Jesus. You have to stay, okay, it's not about what I do, it's about what you did. I accept that. I put my faith in you, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you paid for my sin. I believe you rose again from the dead. You are clearly the Lord God. I I believe you paid for my sin, and I'm going to follow after you. And all of my past is eliminated, washed away. I'm not carrying that around anymore. you got to take that step and put your faith in Jesus. Could everyone just take a second and grab that bulletin? Would you all just do me a favor? Just pull this out for a second. If everyone could just grab this. And I want you just to look at that um, card on the side. If you're in one of the overflow sections or at the pilot campus, go ahead and grab this. Here's what I want you to do. I, I want you just to tear off that Get Connected card because I want to show you something on here real quick. Just tear that off. Go ahead. Just take a second. Tear that off. And I want you to just look on the front of this card. There's a place where you can put your name, and I want you to look down under where it says Spiritually I, and then I want you to scroll down on the bottom in your mind, and I want you to look at... I want you let your eyes land on that fourth one. There's a, a little circle, and then it says, I put my faith in Jesus for the first time. There's some of you. That box is for you today. It's time for you to put your faith in the one who took your guilt and your shame. Take that step. All of your sin, place it on Jesus. He conquered it permanently. Never return to that guilt and shame. It's gone. Put your faith in Jesus today and let that be your story. If you want to take that step, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Would everyone just bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're watching online, would you just take a second, bow your head and close your eyes? And if you want to take that step and put your faith in Jesus, I want you just to hold that card And I want you just to take a second, and I want you to repeat in your heart silently these words to God. I want you to make these your words to God, and today take that step of faith. Just say this. Make these your words to God. Say, God, today is the day. I'm putting my faith in you, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you paid for my sin. I believe you rose again from the dead. And I believe because of that I'm washed clean. And I believe I will spend eternity in heaven. From this point forward, I'm going to follow you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening.